And let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus. Good morning to you. How's your new year going? Good. Everybody having a great new year? We're praying that this will be your best new year yet. And we're praying that God will use our church in greater ways than he ever has before. And that we can make an impact on our community for Jesus Christ. That's our desire for 2005. To just be a lighthouse of God's love, God's grace, and God's truth. You know, grace and truth is something that that we've kind of got a... We've got in abundance, you know that, don't you? Grace and truth is sort of uh, the Christian's corner on the market. There's not a lot of grace out there in the world. Not a lot of truth out there in the world. A lot of lies. But God has blessed us and given us grace and truth. And what an opportunity for us to be able to communicate that and to share that with this needy world. So that's my desire for 2005, that God will use us in wonderful ways. Well, this morning we're continuing our study on the Ten Commandments. And we've worked our way all the way down the list to the Eighth Commandment. And we're going to read verse 15. Boy, just four words. But before we do, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your love for us, and we thank you, Father, for the grace and truth that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Father, we want to be a grace place. We want to be a place where people can find your mercy, your compassion, your love for them, Lord. And we also, Lord, want to be a place of truth where we can cut through the lies and the deception of the evil one, and we can share with people God's word and God's truth. For the truth will set them free. And Father, we pray that you'll encourage us today as we try to declare the truth and share your grace. And so we ask that you speak to us this morning as we study through the Ten Commandments, the Eighth Commandment. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 15, the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. I heard a report this past Christmas from Oklahoma City about a grandmother who had gone grocery shopping with her two small children, her four-year-old grandson, Jason, and his younger sister, Susie. Well, they had just left the grocery store. In fact, they were loading the groceries into the car. And that's when Jason said, Grandma, Susie has something in her pocket. Well, what little Susie had done is she had grabbed a package of barrettes off the shelf in the grocery store and she had stuck them in her pocket. Well, Grandma couldn't just drive away. So she unbuckled the kids and she got them out of the car and she walked back into the store. And as they were placing the barrettes back on their place in the shelf, one of the clerks saw the kids and said to little Jason, said, Have you kids been good so Santa will visit you this year? And that's when little Jason looked at her and said, I've been very good, but my sister just robbed a store. (laughs) Not many preschoolers knock off grocery stores, but apparently they do when they get a little older. In 2003, there were 413,000 armed robberies in America. 
In addition to that, there were 2.1 million burglaries, over 7 million acts of larceny and petty theft, 1.2 million vehicle thefts. In fact, in 2003, almost 10.5 million Americans were victims of a property crime. Perhaps you were one of them. Theft makes up three-quarters of all crimes committed in the United States. In fact, there's a major hotel in New York City that in, that in its first year of inception lost 38,000 silver spoons, 355 silver coffee pots, just vanished in thin air, 1,500 finger bowls, and 100 Bibles. Imagine that. People were ripping off the Gideon Bible that's there in the drawer in their hotel room. And apparently, hey, we can only imagine how many thousands and thousands of towels were taken from that hotel. You know, there are folks who collect hotel towels. Did you know that? I mean, it's like collecting stamps or coins or baseball cards. Hey, come over to my house and look at my collection of stolen towels. Perhaps it's a sign of the times when the number one computer game on the Walmart website is Grand Theft Auto. It's ironic. We arm our new car with this elaborate security system so no one will steal it from the parking lot. And then we drive it over to Walmart and buy a copy of Grand Theft Auto so we can teach our kids how to jack cars. You know, we tend to play games and watch videos that glamorize theft and burglary and the heist. But then it happens to us, and it's no longer a laughing matter, is it? You come home from work, and you find that your television and your computer and your microwave and all the jewelry and all the valuables are gone. And boy, we feel used, abused, encroached upon, violated. It's terrible. You feel that your property is not even safe in your own home. Several years ago, we came in on a Monday morning to find that the church had been burglarized. They had made off with the petty cash box and had stolen most of the sound system. And I was so upset. I was so disillusioned. I couldn't believe that there were people out there low enough to rip off the house of God. And what made matters worse, I thought I knew who did the thing, who pulled the job. And I had suspicions, and I was going to drive over and look in his garage, but I thought better of it. I was never able to prove my suspicion. But it is a terrible, helpless feeling to be victimized by a burglary. Since that incident, we've installed sensors and monitors and cameras and all kinds of security devices. Today, God and a security system guards the church's property. But the security system didn't stop the fellow who walked in on a Saturday morning and asked Miguel if he could use the church phone. He had a flat tire and he needed to call someone to help him fix it. And so Miguel took him over and showed him the phone there in the hallway. And about an hour or so later, Miguel walked back through and said, Well, I think you've had enough time now to, you know, find somebody to fix your flat. And so the guy spoke another 10 minutes or so and then left. And on the next month's phone bill... The church was charged $100 for a long-distance phone call to India. The church, the guy had ripped off the church. 
Hey, we've had people come through the doors and pretend to be needy people, pretend to be at the end of their road in need of financial help. We've given them some money only to find out later they were imposters. We've even had some purses snatched from the sanctuary. And I'm not trying to give the church a black eye this morning. I mean, this kind of thing happens in all churches, all public meeting places. I'm just saying that we are living today in a selfish society where people think they're entitled to anything and everything they want. And if they can't afford it, then they'll take it from someone who can, even if it means stealing from the church. We live in a world that has very little respect for personal property and rights of ownership. And this is why we need to hear the words of God, thunder from Mount Sinai, just four words, but vital words, you shall not steal. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's just two words. A literal reading is, don't steal. The word translated steal is the Hebrew word ganaf, which means to carry away as if by stealth. And it applies to a boatload of various activities. Here's a list. Burglary, robbery, larceny, carjacking, hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, purse snatching, embezzlement, extortion, racketeering, pilfering from public places, employee theft, underpayment of taxes, fraudulent insurance claims, padded expense accounts, copyright infringements, failure to pay child support, frivolous lawsuits, borrowed items that never get returned, and the list goes on and on and on. There are accepted business practices today that are really nothing more than forms of burglary, price gouging, and false advertising, and deceptive packaging and unfair wages are all ways that businesses steal from both their employees and their customers. I hate to open one of those huge bags of barbecue potato chips. Because when I do, I get bowled over by the air that releases from the bag, you know. It's terrible. You sit down to, you know, eat a few chips and you, you realize you've got this big bag of barbecue chips. Man, this is going to be great. And you open the thing and you look inside and 90% of the thing was paper and air. There's a few little chips down in the bottom of the bag. It's a form of theft. Potato chip theft. Hey, when the chips are down, who wants to get ripped off? <laughs> Guys, when we think of robbery, we mistakenly think of the masked man with the pistol protruding from his pocket or the crooks in the getaway car. But there are many different ways to violate the Eighth Commandment. Let me give you a few details about some of the ways I've mentioned, and let me mention a few more ways. Take, for example, shoplifting. It's become an American epidemic. A recent headline read, Shoplifting is America's biggest, fastest growing, most expensive crime. Ordinary people will steal everything from TVs to Bibles to Preparation H. I can understand the Bibles in the Preparation H, perhaps, but... <laughs> Convenience stores, they say, lose up to $400 a month on purchases that never get paid. People just drive up to the pump, fill up their tank and then drive off into the sunset without paying. America loses $12 billion a year to shoplifters. 
Pilfering or employee theft is another form of stealing. American businesses lose more to employee theft than they do to shoplifting. Almost $5 billion more. Taking home pads and pencils that were purchased by your employee for company use. Taking home computers for that matter. Using office stamps for personal letters or bills. Making copies without paying for them. Placing personal expenses on a company expense report. It's been estimated that 17% of business losses result from the company's own employees. They're stealing. Taking a one and a half hour lunch hour. Not working eight hours for eight hours worth of pay. Surfing the internet when you should be at work. These are all forms of theft. I read one study where it was estimated that American businesses lose a staggering $200 billion a year due to theft, security, and the surveillance needed to catch the thieves. The study showed that across the board, one-third of the retail cost of most goods goes to the cost of covering the stealing that takes place. It's called the theft surcharge. Imagine, if we could stop all the shoplifting and all the employee theft, everything we buy would be reduced 33%. I could have used a 33% discount on all the shopping my wife did this past Christmas. But the Eighth Commandment deals with more than just business theft. Far more than that. Hey, cheating on your income tax, that's also a form of stealing. I read where if everyone paid the income tax that they honestly owed, we would pay off the federal budget in a year. Borrowing items and not returning them is also a form of stealing. Books and music CDs and yard tools and DVDs. Hey, long-term borrowing is theft. Have you ever lied about your kid's age to get them into Six Flags or into a movie without having to pay the adult ticket price? That's stealing. And what about going through the produce section and grabbing a handful of grapes or a pack of cookies and eating them while you're shopping and not paying for them when you get to the checkout line. Again, that's a form of stealing. Gambling, alcohol abuse, drug abuse is also a way of stealing money from the people you love. You're taking food from their mouth to feed your addiction. What about going into the brook at Calvary Chapel and grabbing a Coca-Cola from the cooler and not putting your 50 cents in the little tin can that's in the cooler? Again, that's thievery. Here's another example of theft, illegally copied software. I read that in America today, 33% of all computer software is passed along through bootleg copies. It's a sin. And what about music piracy? Copying CDs and going on the internet to get unauthorized downloads. Guys, it's not sharing, it's stealing. And yet 81% of all teenagers and 77% of born-again Christian teenagers commit this crime. And here's the sadder statistic. Of the Christian high schoolers who believe unauthorized downloading of popular music is morally wrong, 60% do it anyway. And kids use the excuse, everybody else is doing it, why should I care? You should care because God cares.
He made honesty and integrity and respect for other people's property a non-negotiable. God added, still not to his top ten. Paul Stanley is a member of the rock group KISS. Not exactly a Christian band known for its high moral standards. And yet recently Stanley commented, when somebody has the nerve to steal your music and say they're sharing a file, that's like me going to your house, taking your car, and saying we're sharing transportation. It's so bizarre that people can hide behind technology and cover up a tremendous loss of ethics. Stealing is stealing. You can't share something you don't own. It's not every day the Christian community gets schooled on ethics from a member of the rock band KISS, but so be it. File sharing is not an innocent act. It's stealing someone's property. And as Christians, we shouldn't take what doesn't belong to us. And there are many other ways to steal. Have you ever stolen the glory from God for taking credit to something He did? Have you ever stolen years from your poor parents' life by acting like an idiot out there doing something stupid? <laughs> Have you ever stolen someone's innocence by leading them into a sin? Have you ever stolen someone's faith by planting a doubt in their mind? Have you ever stolen a person's reputation by spreading gossip? Have you ever stolen a blessing from your family by being too lazy to get up and bring them to church? There are a zillion ways to break the Eighth Commandment. In his book on the Ten Commandments, Philip Ryken, he writes some sobering words. He says this, The trouble is that when it comes to stealing, nearly everyone is doing it. Yet nearly 90% of evangelical Christians claim they never break the Eighth Commandment. What it shows is that Christians have forgotten what stealing really means. The truth is that theft is pervasive at every level of American society. And like everyone else, we are all in on the take. Martin Luther once called the whole human race a band of thieves. As a matter of fact, Luther, he, he said this, It is the smallest part of the thieves that are hung. If we were to hang them all, where would we get enough rope? We must turn all our belts and straps into halters. Luther realized that humans are prone to a stealing mentality. Our selfishness spawns a shortcut culture. We're tempted to take what we want the easy way. To buy a lotto ticket. To put a bunch of coins in a slot machine. Or to steal rather than to work. Once there was a woman who had volunteered some time to help out at the church, and she was cleaning alongside a 13-year-old boy. He was helping, but he had a whole different motivation. He was working off some community service. See, he had been arrested for shoplifting. And at one point, the boy asked the woman, what bad thing did you do? Or, or, at one point, the boy turned and he asked the woman, he said, what bad thing did you do to be working here? <laughs> she sort of laughed. And she said, why, son, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just helping the church. He said, I didn't do nothing either. And that's when she said, well, I hope you explain that to the arresting officer. And that's when the kid replied, what was the use? He came to my house and found all this stuff. <laughs> hey, as Riken says, Christians have forgotten what stealing really means. Guys, to gain God's perspective on this sin of theft... 
Christians need to understand the theology behind the notion of personal property. In reality, the Bible teaches that all property belongs to God. I have a deed at home, a deed for my house. It says I own my house. At least the bank and I own my house. But that deed is really just a nice illusion. Comforts me. Ancient Israel really had it right. They understood that all the land belonged to God. That each Israeli lived on a borrowed parcel. That all the land was God's sod. Leviticus 25 explains a law in ancient Israel called the Law of Jubilee. The Year of Jubilee. And it said that every 50th year in Israel, all the debts were canceled and all the land was returned to its original owners. In other words, everyone got a chance to start over. Wouldn't that be fun? Every 50th year, everybody just, everything was canceled out, everything started over. But in explaining the principle, God said in Leviticus 25, The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. God honored the right of personal property, personal ownership, up to a point. But ultimately, the land didn't belong to the purchaser or the name on its title. It belonged to God. Job chapter 1 verse 21 best sums up the Bible's teaching on private property. Job declares, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed Be the name of the Lord. Everything we own belongs to God. And it is on loan from Him to us. That's why stealing what belongs to another person is not only a sin against that person, but it's a sin against the God who gave those things to that person. This is what the writer of Proverbs had in mind in chapter 30, verse 7, when he prayed to God, Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. He feared abundance that would cause him to neglect God. But he also feared stealing, for that would cause him to profane the name of God. Stealing is not just a sin against man, it's also a sin against God. In one sense, the Eighth Commandment is a prohibition against stealing. We've seen that, that's obvious. But in another sense, in a positive sense, it is also a call to stewardship. Everything I have belongs to God. That means that you shouldn't take it from me, but it also means that I should use it wisely. And that I am responsible to God for how I use it. I am a manager, not an owner. I'm accountable to God for how I use the things He's given. I can glorify God with my money, or I can steal from Him and use my money selfishly. Guys, when it comes to personal possessions, the world says, What is mine is mine. I'll keep it. The thief says, What is mine Or what is yours is mine. I'll take it. But the Christian should say, What is mine is God's. I'll share it. This is what Paul teaches in Ephesians 4 verse 28. There he says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, 
working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. We're to labor in order to show love. God gives us the will and the ability and the opportunity to labor. He has ordained hard work. It's good for us. It imparts a sense of purpose. And it keeps us busy. It meets our needs. But it also provides a way in which we can bless others. With the money we make, we can give. A Christian should work hard and then share the wealth. Rather than take from others and steal from their lives, we should give to others and fill up their lives. And you got to have a southern accent to make that rhyme work. The point, though, is that as Christians, we are called by God to be givers, not takers. Here's another way to think about it. There are actually three ways that we can accumulate property. By gift, by toil, and by theft. God sanctions the first two. Gift and toil, love and labor. While theft is an assault on both. When you rip off another person's property, you deprive them of the rewards of their honest toil, and you're certainly not showing them love. In the middle of the 1999 football season, Florida State coach Bobby Bowden, he suspended his star player for being arrested for shoplifting. The guy walked into the store with 20 bucks, and he walked out of the store with $400 worth of clothes. And when the young man was interviewed, he complained about his harsh punishment. He says, it's not like I've murdered the president. But in a sense, stealing is murder. Notice the progression through the 6th, 7th, and 8th commandments. The 6th commandment affirms the sanctity of life. The 7th commandment upholds the sanctity of marriage, the institution that propagates life. But then the 8th commandment protects the sanctity of private property, the stuff that's used to sustain life. In its rawest form, to steal another person's property is to prohibit them from meeting their needs and in essence kill them by a slow death. It's interesting to me that the Eighth Commandment starts a new division in God's top ten. In the Old Testament, when the Hebrew people broke one of the first seven commandments, the punishment was death. The first seven were capital crimes. But the remedy for the Eighth Commandment was not death, but restitution. The person who stole from another man was to pay him back with penalty and interest. Exodus 20, 22, it says this, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. He shall make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. In other words, if he pawns off the goods, then he's to pay back five to one for an ox and four to one for a sheep. But if he's caught with the merchandise, caught red-handed with the merchandise on him, then he should give back what he's stolen and then another of the same kind. It was sort of poetic justice. What he tried to take is now taken from him. It's interesting, though, that what the law demanded, this restitution, what the law demanded, the Christian now desires. 
in Israel, they were forced to make restitution. But in Christ, it's something that you want to do. It's something that you desire to do. Just think of that wee little man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a short man with a long list of sins. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus spots him dangling from a tree limb. He calls him by name and invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And the Jews were shocked. I mean, Zacchaeus was a Roman collaborator. He was a Jewish traitor. He was a tax collector. That meant he was a crook and a swindler to boot. But the acceptance that Jesus showed toward this man that day melted his heart. It changed Zacchaeus forever. The forgiveness he received, the love that he was shown, delivered him from his greed and his thievery and caused him to want to look outside of himself and become concerned for the people around him and the people that in times past he had ripped off. Luke 19 verse 8 tells us, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus, in recognizing what had happened and the fruits of it, He said, this is proof that salvation has come to this man's house. Jesus never asked the man to make restitution. It was the conclusion that He came to on His own after He had been forgiven by Jesus Christ. When I was in college, some buddies and I, we played golf every Monday. I was part of a regular foursome that teed it up at the local country club. There was only one problem. You see, the course was closed on Monday. Nobody was there. And so we would all drive over to the country club, and we, we, did, we happened to park in one of the back, along the back road there, up against the fence, and we would throw our clubs over the fence and climb over the fence and enjoy a complimentary round of golf. At the time, I didn't really think much about it. It was no big deal. Until a few years later, when I truly gave my life to Jesus Christ and I received His forgiveness and I knew His love, it changed me. I was a new person. And you know that stolen golf started to bother me. I started to pay for it with a guilty conscience. And one day I couldn't stand it anymore and I pulled out my checkbook and I wrote a check for all of the green fees I'd never paid put it in an envelope, and dropped it in the mail. I never heard back from the golf course, but it was the best expenditure that I've ever made. Since then, no amount of stolen money in the world is worth the guilty conscience that comes with it. Hey, I would rather pay the extra tax just to make sure that I'm being honest with my return. God wants each of us to live a life of integrity and honesty and faithfulness This needs to be a non-negotiable for you and me. This is a commitment that we need to decide on in advance. That everything in our lives is the property of God. And I'm going to handle it in a way that will bring Him glory and show love to the people around me. If it's given to you, I won't take it. And if it's given to me, I'll use it wisely. And not only am I going to make this commitment... But I'm also going to teach my children to do likewise. For certainly, this is one virtue that is learned by example. And we need to teach our kids this kind of honesty. Dr. Laura 
Laura Schlesinger tells about a guy named Harvey who called in on her radio show to tell his story. He said, after filling up my truck with gas, I went and paid for it in cash. The clerk gave me change, which I counted on the way out. I realized he'd given me $5 too much. So I returned and asked him to check on his error. He was very surprised when he realized what he had done, and he was surprised at my response. He thanked me, and he noted that this had happened only once before. The customer, the clerk remembered, was a little older, but his vehicle was a van, and it had the same signs on the side as my utility truck. By his description of the man, I realized it was my father. That was almost 20 years earlier. I was very fortunate to be able to work side by side with my father for many years. This is but one of the lessons I learned from him by example. May our kids also learn the same lesson to value other people's property, to respect their rights of ownership, and to keep the Eighth Commandment. I would be remiss this morning if I didn't share with you one other way that we can break the Eighth Commandment and steal. And perhaps this is the most sinister form of this crime. For in Malachi chapter 3, the prophet asks, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. It is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. It is stealing from God when we refuse to give the tithe that belongs to Him. Understand, in the Old Testament, you never gave a tithe. You paid a tithe. The word tithe means tenth. And the first 10% of all you had and all you accumulated belonged to God. A tithe was not an act of your own generosity. You weren't doing God a favor by giving the tithe. You weren't giving to God from your own resources. Rather, the tithe was you giving back to God what you owed Him in the first place. The tithe belonged to God. The firstborn of the flock, the first fruits of the crop, they were never yours anyway. They belonged to God from the moment they were born, from the moment they sprouted from the ground. This is how I look at my finances. When I get paid, I deposit my check, and then I sit down with my bills. And before I write the first check, in fact, before I even glance at what I owe, because I don't want to be tempted to back off of this, the first thing that I do, the first check that I write, is my tithe to Calvary Chapel. The first 10% doesn't even belong to me. There's no decision involved in this for me. I have decided beforehand that the tithe belongs to God. To hold it back is to steal from Him. I love the story of the missionary who had taught this truth to his African village. And one day there was a knock on the door of his hut. He opened the door and there stood a boy with a fish in his hand. He said, I brought my tithe to the Lord. And the missionary was so excited for the little boy. He said, wow, he said, you know, if, if you're tithing one fish... That means that you must have caught nine other fish. You've had a good day. And that's when the boy answered. And when the guy asked him, he said, well, where are your other nine fish? And that's when the little boy answered. He said, well, they're still in the river. I haven't caught them yet. 
Here's an attitude that glorifies God. I'm so thankful for what he's done. I so admire who he is that I want him to have the very first and the very best. And of course, tithing is the one place in Scripture where God challenges us to test him. To see if he won't bless us if we tithe. Malachi 3 verse 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He says, And try me, test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. As I've mentioned, the Eighth Commandment is all about stewardship. And the tithe is the ultimate test. Stealing is always wrong because everything belongs to God. But how can I really say that I believe God owns all my stuff if I can't trust Him with one-tenth of it? Surely we believe God can do more with 90% than we can do with 100%, don't we? During a worship service in a church in Benford, North Dakota, an elderly lady by the name of Mary fainted. She hit her head at the end of the pew, and immediately an ambulance was called. Mary was strapped to a stretcher, and she was being rolled out of the sanctuary when she motioned for her daughter to come over by her side. And everyone kind of gasped and thought, oh no, she's going to utter her last words to her daughter. But that's not what Mary said. Instead, Mary leaned over and whispered to her daughter, my tithe is in my purse. Before she went to the hospital, she wanted to make sure that she gave her tithe to the Lord. She was in such a habit of tithing that it was a priority in her life. And that's how our tithing needs to be handled. We should make it a holy habit. Test God regularly and you will regularly be blessed. But whatever you do, don't steal from God. In conclusion, if we have broken the Eighth Commandment, and after this morning, I'm sure we'd all admit that we've broken it one way or the other. If we've been a taker at times instead of a giver, or if we haven't been the kind of example to our kids that Jesus desires and that our kids deserve, well then, hey, we still have hope. For if you have violated, you shall not steal. If you have been a thief, remember that Jesus died to forgive thieves. I think it's no accident that he hung on a cross between two thieves. And when one of them cried out and asked him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was willing to take a thief and make him a child of God. Jesus is into taking burglars and turning them into blessers. He transforms robbers into hardworking givers. As Paul said in Ephesians 4, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Guys, in this coming new year, let's all be a giver, not a taker. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement to good stewardship. We thank you, Lord, for the warning not to steal. Lord, help us to put you first in our finances. Help us, Lord, to trust you for our provision. Help us, Lord, to be content with what you've given us. And help us resist, Lord, the impulse to take. 
Rather, help us to be guided and motivated by the heart to give. Work among your people this morning. Encourage our hearts today. And Father, if there's someone here who has never really given their life to Jesus Christ, who looks back on their life and thinks and sees times when they've taken, they've stolen, they're guilty, they've made all kinds of mistakes, they are a thief and have been a thief, and they need to be forgiven this morning. Lord, I pray that that person would rush to Jesus Christ, for there is mercy to help, there is grace in abundance, and there is forgiveness forever if they'll just call on your name. And so I pray for them that they would commit their life to Jesus today. Father, I pray that you'd help us all to take inventory of our lives. Help us, Lord, to be givers, not takers. We desire this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.